this morning I want to start a new series, and it's something that's very, very close to my heart. I know you probably hear me say that more than once. Not that this time it's more true. I feel like it is. I want to talk about worship. I just want to speak a little bit from my heart, but I also want to, if possible, if we get there, get into some deep theology. So we may get into some scripture, and I'm going to ask you to try stay with us. But I want to speak about worship, and I don't know how many weeks we're going to be on this, but my heart's desire is to invite all of you to a, to a different place in worship of the Lord in your heart and in your life. And this subject is something that I, you know, when you grow up in the church, you just do things because you do things, yeah? And when I went into ministry, I started to ask the question, why worship? You know, why? And why does God need it? You know, does he not? Why do we do it? Why do we sing? Why do we? And I started to just ask the Lord, and, and over the years and years and years, and just in my own personal walk with the Lord, even listening to some musicologists just on music, and, and I want to speak a little bit on that. And, you know, music, largely in a focus on musical worship, people say, well, you know, worship is more than just music. Well, you know, Praise and worship, they are different, which I'll get into too, but it's largely musical. You know, music was born on the earth when God said, let there be light. Because light and music are the same, they they frequencies, and it's all on the sound spectrum. And if you hear a sound spectrum from that wall to that wall, we probably hear about this much of that. We don't hear all of that, we don't hear all of that. And within that, right in the middle, is where colors and light come in. So when God said, let there be light, music was born. And music is the force that God has put into the earth that is the great equalizer of all people. It really does equalize everybody and everything. And so if you're a musician here this morning, uh, over the next few weeks, I encourage you to really listen. And if you have a desire to lead worship, I encourage you to go home and to study. And to actually study. Many years ago, I had a gentleman who was a great great anointed guy, young guy, he was my age, but I was young, I guess I'm still young to some of you, but he, um, especially you, Dad, no, I'm just, just kidding, so <laughs> just throw that in, but, um, you know, he asked me, ah, oh, you know, how do I write anointed songs, and I said, read the Bible, you know, he said, well, I mean, what, I'm a musician, so I said, yeah, well, read the Bible, first learn to worship with God's songs, and with what's already blessed before you write your own. So today is going to be a shotgun blast. It's going to be a little bit all over the place. Are you guys okay with that? Wonderful. But it's going to be interesting. But I, I'm more I'm hoping that God will start to speak into your hearts. The California Institute of Music a number of years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, discovered that your DNA can be put to musical notation. And so your, your life, like a fingerprint, we all have a unique DNA. Your life is actually a song. Did you know that? So your, your DNA is a song to the Lord. You know, your song is your only song like it. And when the Bible says that all tribes and tongues and people will come together in the end, you know, it's the sound of heaven. Every single time you see the sound of heaven touch earth, the earth changes completely. And the sound of heaven, the worship in heaven is, uh, is, is like white noise. 
you know, you take 250,000 people times 250,000 stadiums times whatever, and you, they're screaming and roaring, and it's, it's white noise. And you see the different sounds of heaven that are recorded, and they sound like earth and wind and fire, and they all sound like white noise. Acts chapter 2, there was a sound as of a wind. There wasn't a wind, there was a sound like a wind. It was worship. You know, when heaven touches earth with worship, everything changes. And your even different races, you know that in the DNA, there's certain things in a, in a race will be similar to each person. To each person in that race, they'll have a similar type of thing in their DNA. So the song is totally separate, different, unique for every person, but there will be a similarity in the race. Why? Every tribe, every tongue will worship together. And you'll have worship in the full sound spectrum. There are things that the church has long forgotten when it comes to music and worship. And the church is learning about music from the world that should be the other way around. It should be the other way around. It genuinely should be. And, you know, I want to encourage you. The, the Jewish, the Hebrew expression of praise, which by God's grace we'll get to, it was so extravagant and so free and so, so non-Western. And over the years, we forgot it. And they all mean different things. Over the years, we completely forgot it. Right up until 1640, John Elliot, the missionary to the Algonquian Indian, he says, hey, America needs a songbook. So he wrote the first musical songbook for the United States of America. And it was... The Bay Book of Psalms, 1640, 1641. It's just Psalms, but it had to be put to eight melodies. Eight melodies that were allowed by the church. They had been like that for centuries. And it was very, well, it was awful, really. And it's a lot of research, but it's like, I don't want to get into all of that with you. I'll bore you, but it's, it came from different Greek words. And, and it, the, the worship for a long, long time was the repetition of the saints. It was, you know, the gentleman would stand and, oh God of our fathers, and then, oh God of our, we extol thee, we extol, and that was it, eight melodies. And Charles Wesley came along, and he wrote 6,000 hymns. And he departed from the eight melodies. He said, no, that's, I've seen something in heaven. And he was arrested for departing from eight melodies. And so, you know, God is restoring something and you see pockets of worship all over the earth and God is restoring something. And it is musical worship. And it should be musical worship. And it's extremely important and it's extremely powerful. As I say, it's a big deal. I get ripped off about that all the time now. You always say it's a big deal. It is a big deal. So I pray that during this series that, you know, I'm not expecting any of you to like remember all of this. That's not the point. I'm not trying to impress or tickle the mind. I'm hoping that God will jump on some of the words and the Holy Spirit will empower these words to set you free to worship. You know, even in our nation, we have the wonderful privilege of the rights of freedom that says we can worship God on our own way, yeah? The Bible never says that. I know what it means, and it's a wonderful thing, but we could worship in God's way. And that will require us breaking out of the cultural normalities and the cult to worship in God's way and to bring something that God actually gives us a very clear pattern for in Scripture. So, are you excited? I am. 
I mean, I'm excited, so you'll have to listen other way. I'm going to actually quickly just start. There's seven Hebrew words for praise. And let me just say this. There is a difference between praise and worship. You know, and so people say, well, praise is the fast songs and worship is the slow songs. No, not at all. Praise, there's, we're going to look at them, the seven words, Hebrew words for praise, but there's only one word for worship in the Old Testament, shachah, and it means prostrate, face down, flat. We always say we worship because of his worth. Theologically, we should say we praise because of his worth. But worship comes from recognition. We see him as he is, and we go down. Soon after I went into ministry, I had this experience. And it's happened to me a few times, not many times, where I could say, I worship the God of Abraham. And I was in my room, and I was worshiping, and I was just singing, and the fear of God came upon me. And people say, you know, the fear of God is not something that makes you afraid. I was afraid. And I, I felt an amazing love, but I was afraid. There was a terror. There was a, I cannot explain it. I try to hide away. Um, and the only scripture I had going through my mind for a long time, it was like, a, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And I didn't know if I'd make it. it just the breath leaves you. And, and was I'm not a man that I should lie. And the thing that I recognized was the big difference between him and I. And worship happened. And so worship is different. But praise establishes, builds a foundation for worship, genuine worship to take place. So there are seven Hebrew words for praise. We're going to hear about them a lot. I'm going to repeat a lot of this stuff over the weeks. And I know some of you have heard this before, but some of you have not. And I've done this series before. I kind of wait, always saying, God, let's do that one again. And it's been two years since I've been allowed to do it. So I'm, I'm very happy. So the first one we will see is halal. And it's uh, one of the primary Hebrew root words for praise. It's where we get our word hallelujah. My wife said it this morning, means God be praised. She was actually singing the more accurate translation, which is hail the king. Halal, hail, and then hallelujah, hala from Yahweh. Hail Yahweh, hail the king, hail God. And so we just say in English, praise the Lord. But that's halal, and it means to be clear, to shine, to boast, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, we don't, it's, I don't care because the Bible, they worship that way. So, you know, the question comes when we talk about biblical worship is what's more important, the, the cultural norms or what the Bible says? Yeah? Yes, great. Thank you. Great chat. So, Psalm 113 is giving you an example. Praise Halal. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His God and His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. And this, I don't know how many examples I gave you up there, but it's all over. It's one of the root words. It's the second word mentioned for praise in the Bible. The first mention is another root word for praise, which is Yada, which is where we get the name Judah from. It actually says, Genesis 29, 35, now I will praise the Lord, therefore she called his name Judah. That's Leah when she had Judah. That is, now I will praise, because why? She had a son, and she was promised a son, and the word Yada, I will praise Yada, so she named him Judah. Yada means to praise, to give thanks, to confess. Its literal meaning is to use the hand. People say, why do you raise your hand? Well, there it is. 
the confession of thankful surrender associated with bodily functions. It's actually what it means, to raise the hand. There's a thought in the original language of the extension of the hand, of a grateful heart. Fully trusting. There's another visual that the ancient lexicon gives, which is a, the image of a child extending their hands to their father. Yada. And there's many, many examples. I won't get into all of them. Toda. Toda comes from yada, but it is more specifically thanks and obedience. It means the extension of the hands, but in adoration and agreement. It's like agreement. And it's extension of the hands. It's acceptance or obedience. I, I will thank the Lord before something comes to pass. I will obey the Lord before I understand. That's Toda. Lord, I don't understand, but I will praise you, and I will agree with you, and I will worship you. I will praise you. That's Toda. It's praise when I don't understand. It's also, it makes it apparent in the Psalms and elsewhere that it's thanking God. You know when people say, you should thank God for things you don't have yet. That is, actually comes from praise, not from desire. It doesn't come, I, I want this, so I'm going to use my faith. No, no, no. It comes from a recognition of who he is. I praise Shabbat, that's the fourth one. To address in a loud tone, to command and to triumph. One translation says to shout. You know, sometimes when we in worship and praise, I hear someone will shout, yeah. And you know, if it's of the Lord, it changes the room. Who knows what I'm talking about? Someone shouts and it's like the right time. And I don't want to say it because then you get embarrassed, but Tommy does that. And it has an impact. Now he's going to be like, oh, no. It's great. He's an elder. He has to be secure. But it's to shout. It's to address in a loud tone, to command, to win, to triumph. And then it has a second meaning, which is the total opposite, which, again, there's all these things we could go into, but I, I don't want to you go study them through. It means to soothe and to still and to stroke. The imagery in the lexicon is once that triumph has happened, you know when you're on a boat or you're on a little raft and it's so quiet on a lake and you can just advance by the stroking of the water? Yeah, that's Shabak. There's such a presence, you just, he lays beside still waters. Praise. Barak means to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship. That's shaka, down. And bow down, let us kneel, Barak, before, and that word before is the presence. Let us kneel in the presence of the Lord our maker. Zamar. Zamar means to touch, to pluck, or play the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise. It's a musical word which means joyful expression, exuberance. Be exalted, Psalm 21, in thine own strength, so we will sing and praise thy power. 1 Chronicles 16, which we'll read later, maybe. Sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders. I'd like to read to you Psalm 57, verse 8 to 9. Very interesting. Awake my glory. That word glory is actually the Hebrew word for glory, the kabod, the weighty, manifest presence of God himself. And it says something interesting. Awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. So the awakening of the glory, where's the glory of God? Bible says in 1 Chronicles, in 1 
Colossians, geez, all these codes, Corinthians, Colossians. In 1 Colossians, uh, no, in Colossians 1, verse 26, it says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Awake my glory. See, the glory of God will cover the, the earth as the water covers the sea. And many Christians think that at the end time, which we're actually in, we're in the last days. That's an era of time. And they think, well, God's just going to show up and everyone's going to get saved and there's this big worldwide revival. Uh, I, I think there's going to be powerful moves of the Lord. I really believe that. But the glory of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea when we understand as believers what it means to release the glory that is in us, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. Musical praise. Well, that's interesting. And it says, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord. Among that I will awaken the dawn is another, it's an abbreviated version or an extended version of the actual word for worship. It means I will get up early because I'm a recognition for who he is. You can't force that on a person. It'll come from within them. He says, O Lord among the peoples, I will sing praises. There's Zamar to thee among the nations. And then we have the word Tehillah. Now this one we're gonna just speak about briefly. You guys still with me? Tehillah is derived from the word halal. That's the singing of halals, to sing to Lord, to involve music, especially singing or hymns of the spirit. Tehillah is a spontaneous singing. It's the, the singing forth, the spontaneous song of the spirit as it rises within you. That is Tehillah. And every time you see this word mentioned in scripture, it's this God is doing something powerful. You know Psalm 22 verse 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. Who knows that verse? Okay. It's also said another way, God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. It's that what, that's the word, Tehillah. See, in English, we just have worship or praise and praise and praise and praise and worship or thanks or bless or kneel. We don't understand their forms of praise. And they're very specific in David's tabernacle, which we'll get to. Very specific. The Tehillah praise is the one that God inhabits with his presence. He responds to all of them, but he comes alive in Tehillah. This is the one that God inhabits. Psalm 22, verse 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. You see it in Isaiah 42. Let him give glory to the Lord and de declare his praise to Hillah in the coastlands. The Lord then shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yeah, roar, Lion of Judah. And he shall prevail against his enemies. When people understand what it means to Tehillah praise, God gets excited. He gets something rises up and he destroys the enemy. There's a response to Tehillah worship. There is a New Testament similarity. Ephesians 5, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the response? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. Receive the ministry of the Spirit. And it will transform the way you deal with one another. And you will make melody in your heart to the Lord. But how will praise? What will happen? Psalms. That's canonical songs. Hymns, the known song. 
It's not like we have hymns and songs today. It just means a song that's already been ordered and structured. And spiritual songs, the Greek, pneumaticus ode, songs, spontaneous songs by the breath of the Spirit. It's in the New Testament. Most churches do one or two. But God inhabits number three. Yeah? He inhabits that one. And so there's, God will set, even said in Isaiah 43, I will set forth a people who I made by myself, who I have myself brought forth. I will bring forth a people who will praise me. And the word is Tehila. You know, it's Isaiah 43 when he says, behold, I do a new thing. Yeah? He says it straight after that. Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I will set forth a people of mine, of my own making, and they will bring me praise. Tehillah. Why? Because it's a new thing. You see, all the way from Adam, all the way up until David, which we'll get into in a moment, worship to God was what? It was sacrificial. Altars. Their worship was only sacrificial. There was no music. Moses and Miriam broke out in a song. Deborah broke out in a song. It was very seldom. And in fact, when Deborah broke, not Deborah, Miriam broke out in a, in a prophetic song, she added flecks and changes to the Hebrew language and it never went back. The one prophetic song. She advanced the language. One prophetic song. <laughs> Moses sings the first prophetic song in the Bible and it's the last one. There's so much in the scripture about music and its power and its patterns and how God will work with it when we turn it as praise to him. Lucifer in heaven is described as the, the beautiful one, the seal of perfection before he fell. And it says he was the anointed cherub that covers the throne. Look at the ark of God in the Old Testament. There were two cherubim. A cherub just means singular angel. There were two cherubs that covered the, the throne, the mercy seat, the presence of God. In heaven, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, go read it. He was the anointed cherub that covers, and then he fell. Meaning what? It's like there's a space left open. Doesn't mean that God was, oh, no, no, not, not at all. But what did he do? He said, I will raise up a company of people on the earth after my own image who will take that place. Let my people go so that they will worship why do you think music on the earth is such a major industry? The Bible says of Lucifer before he fell, he says, how beautiful you are with your timbrels and your pipes that are formed within you in the day that I created you. He was made up of musical instruments. He didn't need a piano, he was a piano. He was a guitar. Every sound, he was, he was him. <laughs> Why do you think, you know, musicians will deal with this rock star thing all the time? It's the struggle in many of it until it dies. Why? It's what he did. Music. Tell your friends, <laughs> what God wants to do with worship, we haven't seen it in many, many years. Many years on the earth. You know the story with Jehoshaphat in the Bible? When he sent forth the singers and he sent, there was a war and he got honest with God. I wish people would just get honest with God. God, I don't know what to do. That's what he said, God, I don't know what to do. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon this young man, Jehaziel, and he prophesied something. 
And so they sent out singers. And it says, and then they praised, yada. Then they, then they praised. In the English, we're like, yeah, you, yeah, we know that. You just said it. But in the Hebrew, it's different words. They yarded. Then they halaled. It says, but when they tehill it, God destroyed the enemy. It's all over. <laughs> and you know the book of Psalms? The book of Psalms is called Sefer Tehillim, the songs of Tehillah. All of them were Tehillah songs. But then they became recorded and written down, and now we have the canonical Psalms. This book of Psalms is nothing more than a, that chart, the 150 top hits of David's day. Really, really it's what it is. I mean, some of them were from Moses, and, but it's, you know, that's what it was. They, they, were, they wrote many, 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 many more. But those are the ones that God put his divine seal upon. And if you grew up as a Hebrew or an Israelite child, you were not allowed to read them. They had to be sung. They were songs. They were not prayers. They were songs. And they had to be sung. So, Raising Worshippers. That was actually the title. Raising Worshippers. It is something that, as this church that God has called us to specifically. The Bible says in the New Testament, the hour is coming, John 4, and now is when the true worshippers, Jesus speaking, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So the Father is seeking genuine worshippers. His eyes are looking. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So I, my intention, what I believe that the Lord's intention is to invite you into an expression of praise and worship with some spiritual understanding so that you actually become free to worship in His way and then He inhabits and you're totally different. Totally different. Everything changes. Now, we're going to talk about David's tabernacle and David's tabernacle, if I can give you a brief history, there were two tabernacles one time on the earth, there were two tabernacles. How many people know about David's tabernacle even only a little bit? Okay, wonderful. There were two tabernacles on the earth at one time. We'll see in the tabernacle of Moses that it was patterned after heaven, yeah? It, it is very specific. God gave these specific instructions. But if you look in Exodus 15, interestingly enough, in the very first prophetic song in the Bible, when Moses sang the song, he said something. He said, it is my desire to create a habitation for the Lord. And so what, what do we see? What ends up happening? He builds a tabernacle which God inhabits, and the whole central focus on that is what? The atonement, salvation, sacrifice for sins, and so forth. Many years later, David comes along, and he says, it is my desire. In Psalm 132, it says, surely I will not go down. He takes a vow just after he becomes king. I will not go into the chamber of my house or up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. He cries the same cry, I want a dwelling place for God Almighty. And so what ends up happening is then we have a tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David and the tabernacle of Moses are extremely different. And yet they happened at the same time. And so what happens is David sees something in heaven. You'll see it in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 9 to 12. He gives Solomon, his son, the plans to build the temple. He said, here are the plans of which I saw by the Spirit. He saw into heaven, and he saw heaven's worship. And he saw the tabernacle of Moses up there, but he saw something else. And he saw heaven's worship. And he said, guys, there's a whole thing that we're not doing. 
all our worship is sacrificial. And in David's day, all seven Hebrew forms of praise come out. They're not there before. They didn't exist before. You see maybe one or two, but by and large, they didn't exist. In David's day, all the giants that came from the Nephilim and all of that, all the giants from when they, when they went into Canaan, they had to kill giants. He killed the last of the giants. It was the height of Israel's political power, economical power, spiritual authority. Jesus came to sit on the throne of David. It said that Jesus has the key of David. It says that Jesus is the son of David. Why? Worship. Worship. Praise. David saw something. He saw something. He said, I want to establish that. And so he builds another tabernacle. And he takes the ark of God, the power and the presence of God. He takes it out of that tabernacle. Actually, it was at Obed-Edom's house, which is another story. And he brings it over and he sticks it in a little tent on a hill. And people say, well, he took it to Mount Zion. It wasn't called Mount Zion. It was just a place. It was some place that's unnamed in the city of David. And he puts it, he establishes a little tent and he puts it there. And it became then known as, that little area was, became known as Mount Zion. Then it expanded further, Zion. And then it expanded further and Jerusalem became known as Zion. The height of Israel's authority, the height of Israel's history. Why? Because a little shepherd boy loved to worship the Lord when no one was looking, musically. He understood something about music. When he was brought in to cast demons out of Saul as a boy, he would play the harp. He wouldn't say, get out. He would, he would play an instrument and the demons would leave. Yeah. There are things that the church, God is busy restoring. And I believe that God has called us in this church to see some of that restored. And it's going to stretch you to see it restored. And so David takes this thing, he sets it up, and he worships, which we'll get into. But there's two tabernacles running at the same time. It's about six, five to six miles apart. One on Mount Gibeon with all the sacrifices and the blood and the priests and all the stuff. No ark though, no presence. And a tabernacle of David, which he sets up. And he institutes music and worship. Never before done, ever. Because he saw something. The restoration of David's tabernacle, what does it accomplish? Well, in Acts chapter 15, I'm going to read this. Acts chapter 15, verse 13 to 17, what's happened is the, some of the Pharisees had got saved and they came in and they said, the new Gentile people need to obey the law of Moses and be circumcised. And the apostles and elders were like, mm-mm, you missed the point. But they were saved, these Pharisees that got saved. So they came in and they're causing these problems. And then what happens, if you go read it in Acts 15, then Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, well, this is what happened with us and the Gentiles. And they tell of all the miracles. And Peter stands up and he says, tells them about Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. They received the Holy Spirit just like us. And it says they all grew silent. But you can, if you know the Greek, it wasn't settled until James speaks up because he's the one who sat in the seat of authority. So they say, yeah, great. We've heard of your experiences, Peter. We've heard of your experiences, Paul. What does the Bible say? James stands up and says, sons of Israel, hearken to me, listen to me. And he quotes the scripture, Amos 9, 11. 
after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does this. And he says the prophets spoke of this and he quotes that verse saying that all the Gentiles will come in. But what does it say? He says, in the last day, Amos 9, what he's quoting says this, in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, Amos 9, 11 in the King James, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up its ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. So what happened? You have two tabernacles. Jesus fulfilled Moses' tabernacle. Do we agree on that? Yeah, Jesus came as a one-time sacrifice for all sin. We know that, and it's amazing, and we're not, I'm not making light of it. But the tabernacle of Moses was fulfilled so that all people could enjoy what the tabernacle of David brought out in the Old Testament, which was pointing to what worship should look like in the New Testament. And in Acts 15, they stand up and say, that tabernacle has fallen down. We've forgotten about it. What's happened to it? We need to build it again. Musical expression of praise in its full spectrum of worship so that God can establish a habitation on a physical geographical place on the earth. Friends, they worship. David instituted something. It took an entire generation to prepare the people of God for a habitation of God. He established uh, praise, all the seven forms of praise and all the musicians and all that, you'll see it. He established something that was, they had worship, like worship services like we had before. Before I got up here, we were doing wonderful things. He established every hour on the hour, a group would come in, 4,000 musicians. 4,000 musicians. 24-7 worship. 24-7. It never stopped. 365 days a year for 33 years, prophetically the exact length of Jesus' life, pointing at something. And it says the worship was to be continual in 1 Chronicles 16. You know that word continual is the exact word in Hebrew when it says the lamp that burns in the tabernacle of Moses was to continually burn, never to go out. It's the same word. It must never stop. Why? Because David saw into something of worship in heaven. But if you go look at Revelations 4 and 5, it'll show you some of what the heavenly order of worship is. And you'll see that it's, number one, it's constant. It's continual. It never stops. Number two, it's musical. Musical. And number three, it's centered on God and his attributes and his beauty and his holiness. And David saw that. He said, I'm going to build that here. So he sets up a tent. <laughs> and he puts the ark there. And he establishes 24-7 worship. 4,000. There were 38,000 Levites who were allowed. He had to be over 30 and under 50, and later he changed it to over 20 because the need was so much that one of the last words of David was, bring the age back to 20, so we need more help. But there were 38,000 Levites. Some had to go serve at the tabernacle of Moses on Mount Gibeon. Some had to serve at Mount Zion. 4,000 musicians at Mount Zion, 4,000 gatekeepers, 288 singers, 6,020, the rest were there because of all the sacrifices and all the stuff. How do you think they chose that? 
They cast lots. Meaning what? All 38,000 were musical. All 38,000 could do it. In order to, there's an old musicologist who gives a list and different writings. In order to play in the tabernacle of David, you have to go on through the, the school of prophets that Samuel instituted. The school of prophets, you had to go through the school of prophets. You had to go through the school of music, raised in the instruction of your father all your life as a child, through the school of music. <laughs> you had to be skillful. You had to make your own instrument. Bible in Amos says that David invented instruments that never before existed. Where do you think he saw those? Huh? Yeah, heaven. The restoration of David's tabernacle, and it's 1123. What does it accomplish when the tabernacle of David begins to be restored? What does it actually accomplish? It tells us, I will close up the breaches. It's all the things that separate us from God. Now, sin has been dealt with. So that which separated us from God, that happened in Genesis, Moses' tabernacle, the atonement sin, done, dealt with. We have access to God. But all the cultural things, all the maladies in our culture, all the, the stuff that comes to invade our mind, all, all that stuff, God said, I will raise up the tabernacle of David and it will close the breaches, all the things that divide me and my people. And it's praise that does that. From legalistic fears to licentious entitlement, in the last days I will close this all up by raising a company of people who understand musical worship and musical praise after the order of heaven. <laughs> how are we going to see, friends? How are we going to see the glory of God established? You know, when Christians remember their God and His power. <laughs> how? Praise. Understanding some of this. It's all there in the Bible. It's just never taught on. Praise. Praise that leads to worship. Praise. 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 Bible says, it says in Acts 15 when it talks about Amos 9:11, he says, we will do this. He will close up the breaches. Why? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. So there comes a clarity. What was the original word for praise? Yada. You know what it means? Clar or halal. It means clarity. The Bible says the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers. When we establish praise, as the Bible talks about, there comes a clarity over an entire region. The Bible says we, we wrestle not, in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers and darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. These are things that are happening up there in the second heaven, the demonic realm. And they influence every single geographical area has a spiritual stronghold over it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Has a spiritual strong. It's not something to fear, but it says we come against it. That word against pro in the Greek means to come actively stand against and to step up and come against. The problem is people think to come against means to focus on. No, it does not. To come against means to worship. Why? I will inhabit. I will be enthroned upon the praises of my people. Spiritual warfare says we are to tear that stronghold down. Stronghold actually is talking about land, actual geographical land. God's very interested in land. What happens is there's two forms of authority, ecclesiastical and governmental. Ecclesiastical means church, not meaning as a pastor I have authority. No, ecclesia, all God's people called out by my name, you have authority from the Lord. And then there's government, not government in the church, government as in like D.C., 
ecclesiastical and governmental authority. And these strongholds desire to influence a region with their personality. And what happens is when one of those types of authority has the wrong, ex the wrong response to what that thing wants to do, it can become established by right in a region. So what does the church do when a government responds to that principality that's trying to influence a region when they give it right to do that? Well, we use our authority. And we don't fight them, we don't fight flesh and blood, we don't use carnal weapons. We turn around in Yada and Halal and praise and Tehillah the Lord, and He is enthroned. We're not called to just tear them down, we're called to replace it. So I will be enthroned. My authority, my majesty, my power will come when my people understand praise and worship. Why? He's looking for a witness in heaven, from heaven. See, in, in heaven, Revelations 4 and 5, when heaven worships, he releases his government. You see it in Revelation. He releases his authority. He releases his resources. He doesn't want worship like Zeus, you know, if you don't worship him, he gets weak. That's man's stupidity that made that stuff up. He desires worship to come forth. Why? He is looking for a witness on the earth that looks like heaven. I want, my eyes are searching for worshipers. I'm looking for a witness so that I can release my government, my resources, my power there. And people's blindness will be removed. They will halal clarity and they will come to me and they will understand that I am their father. And I will change a whole region because the church woke up. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. And worshipped. And a physical, geographical location, that stronghold is removed and replaced with its real father, with its real authority. Because David chose to sit in order musicians and singers. And we think prayer does it. Friends, please hear me. Prayer will never ever bring a stronghold down. I can feel some people like, mm, I don't like that. Sounds, sounds wrong. In Scripture, you pray to gain access to, we need to give ourselves a prayer to have his strategy revealed. That's all through the Old Testament. You pray, I don't know, then there's a strategy revealed. Almost all battles, not so many with Elijah, but almost all battles had a musical worship component. So we, pray. we need to give ourselves to prayer. I love prayer. But it's when we worship and when we praise. We aren't teared down, but God inhabits. God is enthroned. His authority is recognized. The truth is realized. The people are like, why have I been tricked for so long by all this stuff? Why? Because awake my glory. The church woke up to what David established in his tabernacle all the forms of worship, all the forms of praise, all the, and God inhabits and God invades. David set up something after heaven that he saw. You know, who knows what, when I say the power of agreement? Yeah, right? You all know something to do with the power of agreement. That the enemy has no authority over us. He only has the power of agreement. You know that the ministry, the, the, the actual ministry of saying amen was released on the earth through David's tabernacle? The ministry, the power of agreement was released through praise, not through prayer. Thirteen times in the Bible, before David's tabernacle was established, literally right up until the couple months before, in 1 Chronicles 15, which we began to read the whole thing, apparently we'll do that next week. Thirteen times before 1 Chronicles 15, it says the word amen is mentioned. 
every single time. It's that word amen means what? So be it, right? So it's an agreement. The power of 13 times it's mentioned, and every single time it's mentioned, it's saying yes or amen to a curse. Every single time. <laughs> then David establishes his tabernacle and prays. He institutes 24-7 praise and worship and authority and music and sets the singers and Alamoth and Neganoth and all these things we'll teach you about next week. Trumpets and, and cymbals and singers and very ordered, very structured. And after David's tabernacle is instituted, 13 times you see the word amen in the Old Testament. 13 before, 13 after. And every time it's a response to the Lord's blessing. The ability for us to agree, David saw the establishing of the, yes, Lord, amen, Lord, I agree with you, Lord, was established on the earth through praise. That's why he's enthroned upon praise. It's the witness of heaven that comes down. He says, I'm looking, I'm searching for worshipers so I can have it, I can enthrone to heal a spontaneous worship that comes forth from the heart. Isaiah 16 says, I will, build, I will establish, in love I will establish my throne. It's not just going through the motions. In love I will establish a throne through worship when my people love me and pour their hearts out to me. We'll have to leave it there.